This week, Leo Russell is here to talk about the Chronicles of Riddick. Plus, I'm going to review Ghost in the Shell and watch the Last Jedi trailer for the very first time. Here we go! Jesse Mercury. I'm excited about the show this week. We got a lot to do, so let's jump into it. First off, we have to start with the Last Jedi trailer. I have been avoiding this trailer like the plague for the last couple days. I know nothing about it. I have no idea what I'm about to witness, but I'm about to watch the trailer for Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. Before I watch this, I have to admit to you that uh, something that I was really, 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 really looking forward to in The Force Awakens was hearing Luke Skywalker speak. And obviously that did not happen. So I'm just weirdly curious about what Luke Skywalker is going to sound like now. Because, I mean, obviously Mark Hamill sounds very different than he did when he shot these movies when he was young. And Mark Hamill is known as a voice actor. So I'm just super curious. Is he going to sound just like Mark Hamill? Is he going to have like a, like a, like a, I am a Jedi, like that sort of a thing going on? I don't know. I've just been really curious about that just because his voice is so different. So to not to not hear him talk in The Force Awakens was actually kind of upsetting to me because I was so excited about that. But then, you know, you just put that excitement on the back burner and wait until that shit actually happens for real. And I, I think he might speak in the trailer. So that's why I bring this up because I haven't seen this. I don't know what's coming. But uh, I wanted you to know that that's what I want out of this trailer. I want to hear Luke Skywalker talk. This actually reminds me of uh, when I saw the trailer for The Force Awakens for the first time, and it was like a religious experience. I was at work, and I happened to see that the trailer was out, because let's be honest, I was on Facebook. I just put it up on the computer and just hoped that no one came in the office for a couple of minutes, and was like close to tears almost instantly, just seeing that uh, Star Destroyer in the background and the land speeder coming out in front. I was just like, wow, this looks like Star Wars. And that was such a shock. And I think we're all kind of used to that at this point because we've now had two Star Wars movies that look like Star Wars, whereas the prequels look like nonsense. So, I mean, I, I, I want to take a moment to celebrate the fact that that's still happening. It's very exciting. And I, I, still, I still am kind of wrapping my mind around the fact that we're going to get a movie with Luke Skywalker in it. Because we didn't even get that last time. We got like seconds of him. And it was just the ultimate tease. But we were all satisfied because Han Solo is so great. I'm just rambling. Okay. I'm going to watch this trailer. I'm going to play you the audio as I watch it. So you can uh, watch, uh, listen along with me as I watch. And then I'm going to tell you my immediate reactions. So here it is, the trailer for Star Wars The Last Jedi. Ooh, I'm nervous. Okay, here we go, here we go.
light. Darkness. The balance. There's a, I don't I, I thought it'd be a good idea to watch this and record my reactions, but now that I've, now that I'm doing that, my reaction is just the. I just I don't even know what to say. <laughs> That's insane. What? Okay, I I don't even know what to say. I'm gonna play this again and and I'm gonna just talk this time and tell you what I'm thinking here. I obviously like the first thing that I noticed after what I was just talking about is that the very first thing you hear is Mark Hamill speaking as Luke Skywalker. Which is so cool. But you don't even really get to see his face as he's talking. So there's still that layer of mystery of what's this performance going to be like that's still intact. And that's exciting to me. Obviously, the beginning of the trailer really, really makes me think of Luke training on Dagobah with Yoda. And I think what we're all kind of expecting is a movie in which Luke takes over that sort of Yoda position. And that's what this trailer looks like for almost the entirety of it. I love that shot of the rocks floating and Ray feeling the force. But it looks like that's what it's going to be for the whole trailer until you get to the very end. And Luke says it's time for the Jedi to die. And it's like, what does that mean? <laughs> like, this, that kind of throws everything that I assumed about what this movie was going to be into question, which is really exciting. So this shot, there's like books on this weird shelf, I think, and a, and a light. And there's the symbol in the books. So I'd be very excited if maybe Luke has found... Uh, oh, I love that shot of, of them like from far away with the lightsaber training going on. Oh, and this thing. This looks like uh, pod racers almost. It's really interesting. We get to see some of the other characters. Anyway, so I'd, I'd be really excited if we get into the sort of Jedi lore. The back story of the Jedi. The history of the Jedi. Because, I mean, obviously the prequels were a long time previously but we don't really know where the Jedi Order came from or how it was founded at least in a way that's official in canon yeah so what does that mean time for the Jedi to end because my reading of the prequel trilogy is that you know there's this whole prophecy about bringing balance to the force and Darth Vader Anakin Skywalker makes that happen by destroying the Jedi basically by wiping out almost all the Jedi so then we have a similar amount of Jedi and Sith at the end of that story you know, Yoda and Obi-Wan are left alive and then the Emperor and Vader. And yes, there I'm sure there's others out there, but, you know, as far as the main storyline are concerned, those are the only ones we know about. So what I have assumed for sure is that after Return of the Jedi, Luke decides to return the Jedi Order to strength. And it seems like he tried to do that and then Kylo Ren was one of his students and turned bad and then maybe he abandoned the whole idea. So this trailer is making me think that maybe... Luke Skywalker has lost faith in the Jedi Order in general and has maybe done some reading and research and 
uh, found some of their old texts and maybe it has a crisis of faith of some kind. That's my initial guess as to what we might get based off that trailer. So Luke going through a crisis of faith, going to hide off in the in the woods somewhere or in this cave on this island. And then this person shows up, Ray shows up with force ability, wanting to be trained. And then maybe he has to be convinced he has to like get over his crisis of faith and learn to believe in the force again uh not that he doesn't believe it's real but maybe he doesn't believe that being a jedi and using the force is even a force of good anymore that would be interesting i'd be super super down if that's where this is going uh so i saw zero things in that trailer that i disliked uh that's a hundred percent a plus trailer for me that was very exciting the star wars trailers are incredible i mean I'm really kind of impressed by them in general. I did avoid some of the Rogue One trailers because I didn't want any spoilers, but the the trailer, like the first trailer for Rogue One was all I needed to see because it was so incredible. I was 100% on board to go see that movie. This trailer, I feel the exact same way. This was incredible. It was interesting how I really felt like I was getting a sequel to The Empire Strikes Back for the first half of the trailer. I'd kind of forgotten about, uh, for a second, about you know, Kylo Ren and Poe and Finn. I wasn't thinking about them until you see their faces later in the trailer. I was only thinking about Luke Skywalker training a Jedi. That's like all I have on my mind when I'm thinking about this movie. Uh, I lo- I mean, I love the new characters. I love the new storyline, but the continuation of the Jedi Order or or the lack thereof is the part of this that I'm most fascinated by, I would say. Because, you know, the idea of being a Jedi has just always been such a big deal to me like from being a kid to being an adult it's just i don't know the coolest thing i want to be a jedi that'd be sweet so i hope the jedi are still out there anyway last jedi can't wait last week i went to see ghost in the shell with andy so andy's parents actually own a theater in ballard so if you've ever been to the majestic bay theater uh that's andy's family that owns that it's so fucking cool and i'd never been there before because uh, as you now know, I have like intense mold sensitivity, as I talked about in the last couple episodes. So I'm afraid of old buildings. And the Majestic Bay looks like an old building. It looks like an old theater. And I see that from the outside. And I'm like, oh, wow, that looks cool. I wish I wish I could go in there. It's probably old. I'd probably get sick. Because most old movie theaters, when I go into them, I do get sick and have to leave. And it's really annoying to have to go back up to the front and say, hey, I'm sorry. I just walked into your theater. And it's a little musty smelling in there. And I'm getting sick. And I have to leave. Can I have my money back? And I have done that a couple of times. And they're usually pretty cool about it. Uh, the first time I went to Cinerama, I actually had to leave. It was to see The Hobbit when the first Hobbit movie came out. Uh, and yeah, I couldn't I couldn't be in the theater. They have since like torn it apart and redone it. And now it's one of my favorite places to go, which is really exciting. So anyway, I avoid old theaters. It had never crossed my mind to go to the Majestic Bay until I talked to Andy about it because uh, because it's her family theater. I'm like, wow, it's, a, it's actually an, a new building. They actually tore down an old theater that used to be there, rebuilt a new theater, and then made it look like an old theater. And that is like right up my alley. I think that's the coolest thing. And she was talking about the... Tell me a little bit about her parents' sort of design aesthetic. Her mom designed the entire thing as far as the... Uh, like the layout and the furnishings are concerned. And she really wanted to kind of harken back to the old days of Hollywood where going to the movies was a big deal and you had to dress up for it. And like, that's a social event where you go out to be seen. And I think that's awesome because I love movies and I love the idea of there being this communal social experience around movies. And that's kind of the thought behind putting this theater together. And then uh, Andy's dad, Kenny actually did this voiceover for this, like short animation at the beginning of all the movies that they show. It says like, welcome to the majestic Bay. Uh, and I recognized his voice and it totally cracked me up because it was, you know, someone I know in a theater. Uh, anyway, the theater itself 
the reason I bring this up is because the theater is incredible. The screens are so crisp and the sound is awesome. I'm such a cinephile. I always like to go to Cinerama for new releases because I feel like that's one of the best environments for watching a movie in town. And I, uh, I have to say that I actually felt like the Majestic Bay was even slightly better. They actually have several different screens. And we saw Ghost in the Shell on a screen upstairs, which is a little bit smaller. But even on the smaller screen, it was completely immersive and beautiful uh, and crisp and wonderful. So I was really blown away by that. And I can't wait to go see a movie on the big screen downstairs, the biggest one that they have. There is actually an Andy theater, I believe. One of the screens is named after Andy. So if you go to the Majestic Bay, you can watch a movie in Andy's theater. It's pretty cool. So I was really prepared to love Ghost in the Shell. Uh, You know, I was having a really fun day. I was in a really good mood. But I got to say, like, the movie was just okay. I mean, it wasn't great. Uh, There's a lot of things that I think are holding this movie back from being a good movie. I mean, it's decent. It's fine. There's nothing like wrong with it. I still enjoyed watching it, but I didn't get anything from it at all, which really surprised me because I've been kind of looking forward to this. The The previews made it look so much like Blade Runner and like, like Blade Runner in Tokyo or something like that. I don't have any familiarity with the source material, the Ghost in Michelle. Ghost in Michelle. That's the American version. The Ghost in the Shell manga from Japan. It's a comic book I, I have n- never read before. The only thing I really knew about this movie going into it was that there was a bit of a whitewashing controversy because Scarlett Johansson was cast as a Japanese character from the comic books. And that's something that I am very attuned to and aware of and decided that I was not going to judge this movie for that until I saw it. So let's just talk about the whitewashing first because that was uh, something that was definitely on my mind when I went into this movie. So what I wanted to see was is the movie served by having Scarlett Johansson in that role? Does that make the movie better? Uh, Would it have been better with uh, an actress of Japanese descent playing a Japanese character? And I wasn't prepared to make judgment on a movie that I'd never seen. The whole idea of doing that to me is kind of crazy because if you haven't seen something, then how do you know what it is? Like that movie, Great Wall with Matt Damon, there was a lot of complaints about whitewashing in that, but I've, uh, I, and I haven't seen that either, but the director was saying that him being white is part of the story and important to the story because that I believe the director is Chinese telling the story about the Great Wall of China. So that actually sounds kind of interesting to me. And that's something that I'd like to see before casting judgment upon whether or not it's guilty of whitewashing. So this movie, I've seen it, and I am now ready to render a verdict that I do actually think it is guilty of whitewashing because it actually made less sense for that character to be white in this movie. It made less sense than if she had been Japanese. And it bothered me. (laughs) And I... I like Scarlett Johansson a lot. I think she's awesome as Black Widow. Uh, most I've seen her in, in a handful of other things that I can't even remember right now, but remember liking her. Like I've never disliked a performance of hers until Ghost in the Shell because it just kind of fell flat for me. Um, the premise of the movie is that there's a character played by Scarlett Johansson who is a human brain and a robot body. At the very beginning of the movie, we see this brain being implanted into a robot body. So Scarlett Johansson is constructed. Uh, this, like, her body is constructed to house a brain. 
th- I mean, that to me was fascinating. I was really into that. I'm like, wow, we're going to get a an examination of self and identity and what it means to be human and what it means to be a machine and and where those two can coexist and co-mingle in the middle because I'm fascinated by the singularity and and like Kurzweil's f- theories on where humanity is going. All that stuff is so interesting to me. And if you're interested interested in that, I'll look up Kurzweil's interview on Star Talk. That's the the best source that I've had to get his perspective on what he's talking about with the singularity. So I and I love Altered Carbon. Altered Carbon is like this cyberpunk masterpiece. And this movie seemed so similar. I mean, on the surface, it's very similar. The idea that you can transfer your consciousness from one body to another is straight out of Altered Carbon by Richard Morgan, which they're making a TV show out of, which is very exciting. So yeah, I mean, all those things were really fascinating to me and interesting. But the movie doesn't develop those themes at all. It just presents them. And then you just kind of get through like the the bare minimum of what it means to have that happen. Like she tries to remember who she used to be. Uh, uh, the major, I don't remember her name, major something, but they just refer to her as major for most of the movie. So that's what I, what stuck out in my memory. Uh, Scarlett Johansson's character. So the character grapples a little bit with who she used to be versus who she is now, but it had nothing to do with being in a mechanical body. It It just felt like she was a person with amnesia trying to remember who she was. And we've all seen that plot line so many times. Seeing a person put into a new mechanical body with no memory of who they used to be, that's fascinating. And I'm just a a little frustrated that there was no real commentary about what it means to be human in the movie. It was mostly just like a pretty action movie. It is gorgeous, though. I got to say, the movie is gorgeous. The cityscapes are stunning. And the cityscapes are done in a way where there's like these huge holographic ads standing next to skyscrapers of like sports people running and, and, and jumping and stuff or just like people selling watches or whatever. And it was really cool. It kind of took the whole Blade Runner aesthetic to the next level. What it didn't have that Blade Runner does have is a feeling of grounded reality where in Blade Runner, you can look all the way in the distance and everything looks real. And it's just incredible when you're looking at those cityscapes. Ghost in the Shell looks like CG. I mean, when you look deeper, it looks like CG. And so I loved it. I mean, I love the visual aspect of it, but it doesn't sit in a way in my memory that makes me really care about it or want to see it again because it felt kind of empty inside which is kind of i mean an interesting statement for the movie ghost in the shell a movie about having a soul inside of a mechanical world the movie doesn't feel like it has one uh it just kind of exists i did like some of the background characters the dude with the uh mechanical eyes was really cool i really like that character i understand that he was whitewashed also but that one didn't bother me because i i like the actor was really good and seemed to fit the role really well but yeah, Scarlett Johansson just I didn't it didn't make sense that her character was white. It was interesting to watch a movie where it felt like you were in Tokyo, but you didn't know what city you're in. And you see people of all different ethnicities, and it's just kind of this future amalgamated humanity, which I like a lot. And that's kind of why I was really not feeling like for the first half of the movie, not feeling like the whitewashing was uh offensive was because I actually liked how all these different ethnicities were working together to do everything in the movie and you can't really tell where it is which is kind of cool but as the movie went along they it became clear that the only people that were driving the story were the white characters and then i started to feel really strange about it i I started to feel like it was maybe a little bit offensive because the idea is that 
you know, a broad audience is not going to go to a movie with a Japanese lead. And that offends me, you know. And I think that, I mean, obviously you cast Scarlett Johansson because she's a big name, but you you can only get away with that if it's the right person for the job. And I don't think that she was the right person for the job. And I don't think that the movie got away with it at all. Uh, I feel like the movie actually made it clearer and clearer towards the end that it was weird that there was a white person in this role. Uh, as you, I mean, you eventually, I'll, spoiler alert here, you eventually find out that the brain of the person inside of Major was Japanese. Uh, the, the person she was before was Japanese. And that seemed like a, a kick in the head to the whole controversy of whitewashing. It's like, wow, we literally took a Japanese person and made her the sexiest white girl from America. And I think that's problematic. And it's not offensive in a way where I'm like upset at the filmmaker at all. I, I don't feel like this any of this was done with like, oh, Maya, we should we should try to hold the Japanese people down by only having white people star. No, nothing, nothing like that at all. The, but the, the problem here is that Hollywood doesn't allow people of color to have a chance. That's the issue is that if you have a Japanese role, do, like look for the next big star. Find if you don't have someone to to fill those shoes, which we don't because they're not given a chance. Like take a chance and find someone unknown and cast them in the movie and let the strength of the movie speak for itself. This movie felt like one that had a lot of studio interference that pre- prevented it from being a true artistic vision. So it's, I mean, you know, they're trying to make a tentpole movie and make money, but I really feel like the movie fell flat. And I think that the whitewashing was part of that. I think that it would have been better if, if there were leading Japanese characters. I think that that would have been a better movie. I am super interested in the idea of showing a future in which race is not questioned, but we got that with The Expanse, and they're doing it right on The Expanse because they still show classism of the Belters, the Earthers, and the Martians, so you still get a sense of a divided humanity, so you can tell a story about trying to put humanity back together, which is what I think The Expanse is doing. I've only seen the first season so far, but I fucking loved it. I loved it. I watched it twice back to back because it was so cool. And... I, f- I think that right now, because of the current political climate and the current uh, racial tension that's all over the world at this point, if you're going to tell a story that originated in Japan, tell Americans a little bit about what it is to be Japanese. Tell us a little bit about what it's like in Japan and, and the values of Japan and give, like, give us some boots on the ground insight into what it means to be from another culture because the easiest way to learn that is through movies because, I mean... Not everyone can like move to Seattle and see what it's like to live in a multicultural environment, even though Seattle is still very white. It's much more multicultural than where I grew up. So not everyone can do that. So some people need to see it on the big screen. Some people need to see other cultures. And that's why whitewashing is a problem, because when you when you don't show other cultures, you don't get over this sort of natural fear of the unknown that people have towards other cultures, because other cultures are literally just people. I don't know if you know this or not. (laughs) They're just people. You can be afraid of people and that's something you can work through. But if you're afraid of someone from a specific place and not another place, then you need to question whether or not you have racist thought inside of you because it's okay to say that maybe I do. And like, that's something you can work on. That's cool. I mean, that's, (laughs) that's a good thing. That's a positive thing to do. And this movie had the opportunity to do that. It had the opportunity to tell a fucking awesome cyberpunk story, like from a Japanese point of view. And that would have been cool. And we didn't get that. We got an Americanized version of a Japanese story. The other thing that bothered me about this movie is 
I, I was very uncomfortable with the feminist side of this movie. I really, I really tried to understand the female point of view more because uh, I'll tell a funny story about this. I live on Capitol Hill. There's a large gay community on Capitol Hill. And one day I was walking by the Cuff. I used to live a block away from the Cuff. And the Cuff is a, is a, a gay bar. And it's awesome. I've been there. It's great. I love it. Uh, but there's a lot of big dudes that hang out there. Like we're talking leather daddy status. And sometimes they leer at people as they walk by. And I, I experienced being leered at where I overheard two men talking, two men that were very large. They could easily hurt me or hold me down. Uh, I saw him make direct eye contact with me. One of the, one of the men, he made direct eye contact with me and then said to his friend while still looking at me, do you like that? And like nodded his head at me. And then his friend said, of course I like that. And they were talking about me and it scared the shit out of me. I'll be totally honest. Like I've never been talked about in a sexual way by a stranger on the street before. Cause this was, this happened right out front of the bar as I was walking home. So I felt this weird, intense fear that I'd never experienced. And I had this light bulb go off in my head. It's like, Oh my God, this is what women feel every fucking day, every day. So that gave me like the slightest glimpse into what it might be like to, to be a woman and walk home from a bar and be catcalled. And I mean, horrible things are happening to women all the time because men assume that they can make decisions for women. And that's terrifying. And I fucking hate that shit. And this movie was about a woman. So I wanted this movie to have a feminist statement behind it. I wanted this movie to feel like it was about a powerful woman who was powerful in her own right and made her own decisions. And that it's not even close to that. First of all, they put her in this suit that makes it look like she's naked. I mean, it's kind of her skin as a robot. Uh, it, I think that she has like uh, camouflage skin. So she can, if she's naked, she can make herself invisible. But when she's naked, I mean, she looks pretty much naked. Like they, they take away her nipples and they take away her vagina and they put some lines on her body and they call it a day. But it was distracting to me. Like, I, you know, I'm as big of a fan of the naked female body as anyone in the world, but there is a time and a place and making your main character nude all the time in a way that doesn't necessarily need to be there or even serve the story felt uncomfortable to me. I mean, that's her suit could have been black and it would have been better. It would not have felt so exploitative. I mean, I felt like her character looked like that because someone was horny. I'm just being honest. And like, maybe that comes from the, the original comic book, but I don't know. I don't, I have no idea. I just, I wasn't wild about that. I, it, which is funny to say, cause you know, I, it was like, she's incredibly attractive and it was hot. I feel like that detracted from the message of the movie. Uh, and it just made the whole thing uncomfortable to me. The idea that they took this Japanese woman who was, uh, who was dying and they put her brain into the hottest white woman ever and then made her naked. Like, what is that? You know? And yeah, the movie is trying to say that that's not necessarily a good thing, but the movie still did it. Like the movie did it and made it enjoyable to watch. And that's on you movie. So that made me uncomfortable. Um, I, all in all, if you're a big sci-fi fan, see it. I mean, make up your own mind about it. It's, it's not a bad movie. It's like worth watching. And there was stuff in it that was really cool looking and really interesting. And the one character with the, the uh, mechanical eyes was the one part of it that really stuck out to me as being so cool and so human and interesting uh, that, yeah, I mean, I really liked that one aspect of it. 
a whole hell of a lot. But the rest of it was kind of forgettable to me, and some of it was kind of frustrating and aggravating. So overall, I don't really recommend this movie. All right, so on my conversation today is with Leah Russell. We watched The Chronicles of Riddick. I've never seen the movie before, so she came over. We chatted for a bit. We put the movie on, and then we talked some more. You know the drill. That's what we've been doing recently on the show. I like it a lot. It's a good format. So we're going to get to that in just a couple minutes. I do have to say a couple of thank yous. Uh, I, I've been getting a lot of support and positive feedback after putting out the two-part Lyme disease episode in the last couple episodes of the show. I got a couple of emails that... Uh, were really touching to me. One from Adrian about visibility for being chronically ill and the fact that, you know, most people try to hide that. And is it is important to be out there and say that you are sick sometimes just so people don't stigmatize it as much. So, um, yeah, so that was really nice to hear that that had been a positive thing for her. And then also extra special thank you to Adrian, who is now my newest Patreon supporter, which means that she has access to the exclusive Sci-Fi Project podcast, which you can find at patreon.com slash sci-fi project for $2 a month. And it goes to supporting this show and keeping what you're listening to right now on the internet and keeping it going. I also have to say a special thank you to my friend Justina, who I know through pinball. She's actually a really, really good pinball player, so I see her at tournaments. I was really surprised to hear from her uh, after the Lyme disease podcast came out, and I want to read you a little bit of what she wrote to me. She said, I don't know you too well, but I have a close family member who went through a similar ordeal with Lyme disease, but was very withdrawn during the worst of it and maybe caused us all a little more heartache because of it. So listening to you talk about it was super helpful. And even though not all experiences are the same, it has given me a bit of insight into what she was going through. I can't wait to listen to everything else you've put out. You've officially got a new listener. That's awesome, Justina. I hope you like science fiction. Uh, <laughs> I, I know how hard it is for family members of chronically ill people to uh, to deal with it because it's, you know, being sick is one thing, but watching someone be sick is completely separate. And they're two different skill sets. You know, you have to learn to deal with each of them in different ways. And I, I think a lot about the relationship between empathy and understanding, because I think a lot of people are naturally very empathetic, but don't necessarily understand what someone else is going through. And then it actually becomes very difficult to, to be empathetic for someone when you don't know what they're thinking and feeling and, and can't really help. Uh, but on the other hand, when you are going through something that personal, it's very hard to talk about it because people look at you funny. They look at you like you're weak and like there's something wrong with you and they look at you with fear because you represent their own mortality. So oftentimes it's easier to not even bring these things up. So I see both sides of that and I see how both sides of that are extremely difficult. And, um, you know, if I can help with that, that's incredible. That's, I feel like my whole podcast now has a purpose because I helped one person with one thing. That's amazing. I love that. That makes me so happy. Speaking of purpose, back in episode 69, Leah Russell came on the show and we decided to talk about all of the Riddick movies, the Riddick trilogy with Vin Diesel. So today we're continuing that tradition with the Chronicles of Riddick. It's not really a tradition if it's only going to happen three times, but uh, yeah, we're talking about the second of the Riddick trilogy, Chronicles of Riddick. So let's get into our conversation with Leah Russell. Here we go. Let's I'm so excited. <laughs> uh, Leah Russell, welcome back. 
Thank you very much. So excited to be back. So we're going to watch Chronicles of Rinnick. This is my first time ever seeing this as well as the, Pitch Black last time. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, this is my, I think I saw it one other time many moons ago. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a long time. Like, I really barely remember much about it. So it'll be like the first time. Nice. Yeah. So you came on the show recently. We watched Pitch Black. Yes. And then we decided to embark on this journey and watch all of the Chronicles of Riddick. And yeah. here we are. Yep. <laughs> These movies are, are named things that are very hard to discuss because the second one is called The Chronicles of Riddick, but all three of them together are kind of referred to as The Chronicles of Riddick. And then the third one is just called Riddick. And that's confusing. And what we're watching right now is also called The Chronicles of Riddick. So there's just a yeah. lot of repetition within yeah. all of the titles. Yeah, it's very confusing. And then Pitch yeah. Black has nothing to do with anything else. And yeah, I mean, I mentioned last time I had no idea that Riddick and Pitch Black were connected until probably 10 years after they came out. Yeah, it took a while for me to figure that out as well, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, wait a second. <laughs> yeah, so so I have no idea what we're getting into. I know nothing about this. Like, uh, normally, I mean, even with Pitch Black, I knew, I knew that Vin Diesel was going to be like a, a badass action star oh, yeah. and that the lights on the planet were going to go down at some point. Mm -hmm. But that's all I knew. Chronicles of Riddick, I know nothing. I know that Vin Diesel's in it. I know that he plays the same say, character. We know one it. thing is going to be true in this movie. What's and that? that is that Vin Diesel's voice will be awesome. That's so true. His voice <laughs> will his be... And his muscles will be popping. <laughs> 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 Can count on those two facts. <laughs> You're right. I was... Sometimes I just don't think, you know? <laughs> It's the benefit of having Vin Diesel yeah. in a movie. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's watch this fucker. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's. <laughs> What's a bounty on my head? One mil. Ah! One point five. What slam pays one point five for a convict? Private party. Hey, 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 guy, guy, easy, anonymous. That's what the sheet said. One planet. Helion Prime. Uh, wow. That was Love, awesome. That was awesome. It was so great. I love that movie. I couldn't even believe how much fun that movie was. I questioned yeah. several times throughout the movie. I was like, is this movie as awesome as I think it is? Or am I really stoned? <laughs> yeah, I was. <laughs> but no, it's actually awesome. Yeah, I kept was, trying to like. Usually, criticism comes up pretty easily as I watch something. It's like I don't necessarily look for it, but I just kind of have that eye from it. Thank you, theater school. <laughs> <laughs> but I really don't have much bad negative things to say about this movie. Yeah, you I know. I thought it was really well put together. I totally agree. Uh, I was really impressed by how much was happening and how I was mm -hmm. following all of it. Yeah. Like, you don't usually see a story that's that epic and have it yeah. uh, make that much sense. I mean, a, a mm -hmm. lot of things in the movie don't quite make sense, but that's, but they're, you know, they're the things that are, you're supposed to know, yeah. you do know. And all like, you can follow plots, everything. Yeah. Uh, all the different layers of plots totally tie into each other. 
and they were really well and they were all necessary back and forth, you know too. yeah like i when we were on the prison and you look back on the ship with mm-hmm. uh carl urban and tandy newton yeah like there was just enough of them cut into when riddick was in prison to keep totally. both storylines going yeah and it, it was so interesting to watch this after really seeing, well paced it was really well paced totally it was really interesting to watch this after seeing riddick mm-hmm. because riddick was kind of awkwardly i'm sorry after seeing uh pitch black because <laughs> pitch black was uh kind of awkwardly paced and Mm -hmm. awkwardly edited yes and this looked like i mean you could feel that it was like the same person yeah behind the the scenes the same type of vision yeah in a lot of ways yeah Yeah, but it was like a it was like a, a a real version versus like a student version you know yeah like he was learning how to make a movie when he made pitch black and then when he made Chronicles of Riddick, Riddick he, he was knew ready. He, yeah, yeah, he knew what he was doing. He had a bigger budget to work with. <laughs> yeah. He had had time to really fully work this out. Yeah. And like and the vision came together. Totally. That being said, it was still a total B movie. And I love yeah. that about it. Yeah. Yeah. My only criticism is that they did not need to make every single woman in the movie, including oh, Judy Dench, yeah. a sex object. You yeah, know? that's also part of this director's style for totally. sure. Totally, absolutely. Is like over sexual, like the women are badass and interesting yeah. characters, but completely over sexualized. Totally, yeah. Like Jack, aka Kira, mm-hmm. uh, was so badass, and it yeah. did help a lot <laughs> that she was yes. so badass. But then the like there was that badass girl that was on the the mercenary the ship. ship, yeah, and <laughs> she was just like they kept cutting back to her boobs for no reason. Like, yeah, they just show close up of her boobs randomly every time she was They're around. Like, Look at them! Look at those boobs! <laughs> Look at them titties! <laughs> it's really strange. <laughs> Besides that, I fucking loved this movie. I yeah. I was watching it, uh, and first of all, it was so different from what I expected yeah. because it was worlds different from Pitch Black. Pitch Black yes. is kind of like this gritty, uh, like indie movie. Totally. And, and this R- is like Chronicles really of is like epic. Very epic. It's like the mummy meets uh, Stargate. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really, it's a weird combination of styles, but, mm-hmm. but for some reason, Riddick, the character still feels like he fits inside of both worlds of both movies. Uh, mm-hmm. And it was kind of jarring at first to be in such a different type of world than what we saw in Pitch Black. Yeah, exactly. It's but, like in Pitch Black, we saw such a like teeny tiny little corner of this yeah, world that isn't totally. even really relevant to the rest of this story. Yeah, Totally. Except that it introduces these characters and these relationships. Yeah. And sets up the character of Riddick. Totally. It was so cool to kind of like peel back the story back an entire layer, like a huge mm-hmm. macro layer of universe that we got to see yeah. in this movie. Where in the first movie, you assume that everyone's from Earth and that mm-hmm. the the pilgrims are all from Earth, but they're not. They're from this planet that we get to see in Chronicles of Riddick, which was so cool. Yeah, and you also think Riddick is human. It's like you kind right. of get the impression that he's like superhuman, but in right. this, I and I thought I remembered when we were watching Pitch Black, Pitch Black I remember thinking like, oh, I... I thought Riddick wasn't quite human and he's not he's Furian he's Furian yeah Yeah, which is super cool yeah that's the one I really liked that I was a little confused about why uh that other Furian guy that you meet two-thirds of the way through the movie yeah uh like helps saves Riddick and then kills himself that was very confusing uh, I was trying to think of a justification and what I came up with was the main the (laughs) 
my favorite reason that I came up with was that uh, he would rather die at his own of his own choosing rather mm. than he knew he was going to die if he helped Riddick at all. And he felt like he had to help Riddick and he knew that he was going to probably die brutally by his own, right. you know, necro monger people. So he might so as well just like do a fancy might walk as well out just the sun. incinerate <laughs> himself in the sun. Yeah. I, that, that makes sense. Well, okay. Let's back up. We are, we're so excited to talk about this that we're getting way ahead of ourselves. Let's let's talk about the plot, first of all, and just kind of like r- quickly rehash the plot in case there's people listening who have no idea what we're talking about, <laughs> which surprisingly people do listen when they haven't seen the movies. Uh, That's interesting. It's actually kind of cool. Yeah. Like I, I've done that on other podcasts where they talk about something that I didn't think I'd want to watch. I'm like, sure, I'll listen to that because I like listening to mm-hmm. Kevin Smith talk about anything. And then he talks about something I'm like, shit, I need to see that movie now because it sounds Damn. amazing. Um, but people actually, I, I know that I I've, hope this does get more people to watch the Chronicles of Reddit. Totally. If we it can dessert. do one thing on this earth, <laughs> if we can do one thing right. will be to get people to watch this movie. Totally. Okay. So what happened in this movie? So, oh my God, where, where did it start? start? Uh, so the back he was running from the law or <laughs> that's right. Sort he, of. He, he had was like running a really long bounty hunters. He had really long, uh, beard. A real, yeah. A questionable wig. <laughs> Very <laughs> questionable. And he was running through a questionable CG field of, 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 like, of like chasms, ice, chasms, ice and chasms. Yeah. And he was just like hopping across them. I mean, it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not complaining. <laughs> no, no. And then he like ghost killed all these bounty hunters on the ship except for the main guy. Yeah. Like whenever Riddick runs into someone in the beginning of the movie, he, he either kills, he kills them or, or throws them out of a vehicle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And then there's these evil people coming uh the the necromongers and they're yeah. this weird religion and they're trying to brainwash everyone to be like them these like half undead people these like unfeeling yeah 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 it's like they suck out their their free will or something mm-hmm. it's a little unclear but totalitarian bad guys yeah screaming through the galaxy uh, they preaching some fucked up religious rhetoric. Yeah, and preaching going around some bad killing shit. people. Yeah, and then Riddick ends up uh, having a like a giant price on his head. It was placed by the the holy man from Pitch Black, which I thought was so cool to bring that character back mm-hmm. uh, and have him be the reason that Riddick ends up back in the mix of things. Mm-hmm. The priest guy put the bounty on Riddick's head to bring him back to the planet because he needed. His help because he knew the necromongers were coming to destroy the planet. Right. And he'll do anything to save his wife and daughter. And the only yes. thing he can think of is to call Riddick, to call Riddick. the most yeah. dangerous man he's ever met. Yes. That's a cool story from that side also. <laughs> yeah, totally. And then the bad people come and... Uh, they kill the holy man. Yeah. Which was sad. That was sad. It was sad. I cared about him much more in this movie than I did in Pitch Black. Oh, yeah, Totally. Actually, Actually, I mean, across the board, I felt like all the characters I was supposed to care about, I cared about, Mm -hmm. which really impressed me. Even like the background people from the prison, but we'll get there. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Reddick hears tell of of Jack, the girl from from Pitch Black, and she's in prison at this weird, crazy place. Yeah. That makes him sad. Mm -hmm. And then he kind of maneuvers the, the mercenaries who the mercenaries from the beginning come back in. He maneuvers the mercenaries to take him to the prison where Jack is being held. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jack AKA is now Kira. Jack is now Kira. 
Jack yes. is and Jack is hot now. Jack is real hot now. <laughs> and also very badass. Yeah, very badass. Very badass. Played by this actress who was a recurring character on Angel. Mm-hmm. And I I read uh I read that the girl from Pitch Black auditioned to play the role again and did not get the part, which was yeah. kind of sad. And Vin Diesel was lobbying for her to get the part. Oh, <gasps> Vin. Yeah. yeah. That's nice. Yeah. But it didn't work out. But no. Uh, and then they they break out of prison. They meet up with the the necromongers again. Mm-hmm. This amazing sequence when they're running away from this when they break out of prison and they're running away from the sun because when the yeah. sun comes the sun in comes... it like burns everything immediately. Yeah, super super hot sun. <laughs> <laughs> um, super toasty. And it was <laughs> a cool like switch of like. The premise of Pitch Black was that you're kind of running away from the darkness. Oh, I didn't even make that connection really until you just said that. Yeah, I felt like yeah. I almost felt like they were retelling Pitch Black. Totally, that's in, in totally that part of the movie. Yeah. It was very similar. Like all of a sudden, the movie yeah. felt just like Pitch Black. Just yeah. a bunch of people running away from light like, or the lack thereof. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. The inverse of it. Yeah. Totally. So that was a great scene. There's a great fight with. The, there's this necromonger played by Carl Urban who's being egged on by his wife, Tandy Newton. I think his wife. Oh, yeah, it was his wife. Because yeah. she was like, in the beginning, she mentioned it. That like He's like, you should know your place. And yeah. she's like, my place is as your wife on your arm. Oh, that's like, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. And, <laughs> and yeah, I mentioned to you uh, before we started recording here that... Um, their relationship had a very like Macbeth, Lady Macbeth dynamic to me, yeah. where she was kind of like egging him on to try to get the throne yeah. and to kill the current king. And he was kind of into it because of his ambition, but also uncertain about it. And, you know, and they had this like sexually charged relationship. Yeah. But that was just like sex and power. Totally. Their story was, really... was like really interesting to me. And mm-hmm. every time they were on screen together, they were. Really kind of electric together. Totally. Carl Urban looked gorgeous. Yeah, uh, in he his, did. In his uh, guy liner and his like shaved sides. Uh, he looked so yeah. great. And yeah, his weird, he really did. Like a uh, long uh, mullet. Like, yeah, dread mullet thing. His dread mullet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, amazing. Yeah. Really good. And Tandy oh. Newton was great. She's always good in whatever she's in. Yeah, she was awesome. Like such a snake-like and like interesting character and yeah. so sexy very sexy yeah. the two of them together so sexy so sexy Woo, i totally believed it i know me too. i totally believe their dynamic it totally. was great they like she was like sticking her tongue in his mouth like their tongues all the way were in. all over each she other's was, mouths they were in like, and around each fucking other. him with her tongue <laughs> oh yeah i know he like he like licked her tongue back but she was like Ugh. yeah like all up in there i was like get it yeah and you can't fake that. That's not oh. CG. <laughs> no, no, no. We were, that was a close camera angle. And so I yeah. was like, oh, that is commitment. I love, totally. they are loving it too. Yeah. Those lucky actors. Totally. Get it just like gross make out with each other <laughs> on screen. How fun would that be? So fun. It's like, hey, look at this really good looking person. I want you to like just stick your tongue in their mouth and we're going to film it. And you're like, great. And we're going to pay you so much money. Yeah, we're going to pay you millions of dollars. Hi, I'm Carl Urban. This is my life. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I love Carl Urban, first of all. Totally. Uh, second of all, there was a Star Trek pinball table and Carl Urban did like a little promo video for Stern oh, yeah. Pinball where he plays it. And it's the coolest looking 
pinball game you'll ever see. <laughs> like, as far as watching someone play, he looks yeah. just so cool. He I looks bet. so cool playing pinball. I don't know how he pulls it off. So cool doing anything. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and he's incredible in the as Bones in the Star Trek movies. He's mm. so great. And I was whenever he shows up in anything, I'm happy because I love Carl Yeah. Urban. And he was wonderful in this movie. He was he so was, great, like a yeah. pouty little bitch boy the whole time, and it was but like, awesome. Also, really, I did believe that he was like this powerful warrior guy, and yeah. but like there was so there it was really interesting. But then. <sighs> Like defied his wife and yet was also ultimately led by her. Yeah, totally. He had you know, this like he had really to, like, in- assert his power to yeah. her, but was ultimately kind of her slave. The only time he ever asserts power to her is sexually, and that's because that's yeah. what she wants. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like she wants someone else to be in charge for a second, you know? Yeah, because totally. she's in charge the rest of the time, and it's mm-hmm. it's totally you're right. It's totally clear that she's in charge of that relationship. Yeah, uh, yeah. It was really good. He's also like seems dangerous. Uh, yeah, he doesn't exactly. seem like weak. He seems very no. strong, and mm-hmm. maybe like uh, I-, I couldn't decide if he was going to become an ally of Riddick at the end when he tried to overthrow the the leader, mm-hmm. or if he was going to be end up being the big bad at the end. I couldn't yeah. figure it out the whole movie, yeah. which was awesome. Mm-hmm. It was un- unpredictable in a way that was very refreshing. Yes. In a way that Pitch Black was also unpredictable because you can never tell, is Riddick actually going to save anyone's life or just leave everyone to die? Right. And you question it over and over mm-hmm. and then continually are surprised by what he chooses to do. Yeah. I felt that way about uh, about uh, Carl Urban's character in this movie where you couldn't. Like, he could go either way, and it would make perfect yeah, sense. Yeah, I could have seen there being, like, a big showdown between him and Riddick at the end. We were telling the story, so wait, we didn't... Where did we leave off? Uh, so they fight when the sun is coming, then they go back to the planet from the beginning. That's right. Uh, new... What, Helios or something? And they, something like that. Helion? They Helion. Have a, yeah, Helion. That was it. And then that's where the final showdown happens. Riddick mm-hmm. uh, ends up killing the supreme leader and yep. becomes the leader. Yes. Uh, and then Carl Urban's character just gets down on his knees in front of Riddick, uh, and, which was interesting. Yeah, because they all are now, like, they're still bound by their, like, religious, like, by their conversion. Right. You know? And you keep what you kill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that that was the last line. Yeah, you this, keep what you kill. This, like, running theme going through the movie that you keep what you kill, and then mm-hmm. uh, Riddick kills the leader and then keeps his religion <laughs> yeah and that's how it ends and then, like keeps his kingdom yeah his uh, yeah like all the people bowed down to him it was this really cool moment because like riddick should should we give away this big spoiler do it okay it's it's happening so kira dies very oh, tragically so and it, it was really sad i felt i really felt for riddick i was like that was the only person he ever loved yeah and he like had this moment where he like covered his eyes and like stumbled backward and he like sat into the throne yeah. and that's when everybody you know kneeled down to him and when he kind of like lifted his hand he realized what had happened and it was yeah. this really interesting moment of going from this like devastating loss to this realization of like ultimate power in a way like this <laughs> yeah. huge amount of power suddenly at his fingertips and yeah, he's been someone who's been on the run or locked in chains yes. the whole time we've known him. Yeah. That's been his life. And then all of a sudden his life c- completely flips 
and now he's in charge. Yeah. Uh, just through like random death ritual in this weird religion that mm-hmm. he had that he had has no part of at all, and now right. he's leading. Mm-hmm. And that's such a cool way to leave off the character because the character is so interesting, and putting yeah. him in interesting situations is fascinating. Yes. And I just and can't wait like, to see the I'm third one. I'm so excited to see it. Yeah. Oh man. Okay, so that's the story. So let's talk about how awesome it was. Yes. <laughs> I want to talk about Riddick as a character yes. like coming out of the first movie and mm-hmm. then and then throughout the second. So coming out of the first movie, he has that moment right at the end of like real humanity. Right. Where he chooses to help them instead yeah. of just abandon everybody. And you can see that he has actual feeling empathy. for these yeah. people. Yeah. His empathy kind of awakens at the end mm-hmm. of the movie. And then I And you see a lot more of his empathy within this movie totally yeah absolutely and it's not even like people don't have to fight for his empathy as much anymore he'll just he's more willing to kind of give it yeah totally i was expecting to watch a movie about him regressing and having to open up again because Mm -hmm. that's just what it seemed like would be the the most you know logical thing to do Mm -hmm. and i felt like that's what they were setting up in the beginning because he was just killing everyone he ran into and then he was talking about how the the holy man was like the the one person he ever called friend had betrayed him. And I was just sure that Riddick was going to kill this guy. You know, yeah. I was sure. And that it was going to be a sign that he'd regressed and then he'd have to open up again. Mm-hmm. But they didn't do that at all. Uh, like the the holy man kind of like just by seeing his wife and, and, and daughter, Riddick was like, wow, you know, I understand why you did that to me and maybe I won't kill you and maybe I'll try right. to help your family. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was not what I expected at all. Riddick totally has a soft spot for kids. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For anyone who hasn't had a chance. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. I like that. Mm-hmm. I, he seems to be all about people making their own chances. Yes. And if they... Exactly. Like if they can't keep up on the running away from the sun, if you can't keep up, you die, you know? Yeah. But you have the chance to get there and that's all that... Well, and he said that. And then there was that interesting moment when they were going up the cliff and the sun was coming up and he was helping people up. That moment stood out to me because of that moment in Pitch Black. I was thinking, oh, you know, he's not just leaving these other stragglers behind. He's not just saving him and Kira, you know. Yeah. He was choosing to even, you know, try to help other people's chances and put his, his own life at risk. Yeah. So do you think what happened to him in Pitch Black changed him and and stuck? Yes. And I also think that once, uh, since Kira was around, like having those influential people around him seemed to open up his capacity for empathy. Yeah. Yeah. Like when he's in prison, he almost makes a friend. Yeah. That beardy guy Mm -hmm. uh, who, you know, they like confront each other when Riddick first gets to prison. He says, you know, you're going to spend the rest of your life here. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then Riddick slowly proves to him that he can do anything Mm -hmm. (laughs) and he's going to get out. Um, And then the other guy kind of has this grudging appreciation, which turns to it seems like turned to almost a friendship. Yeah. uh, Before he's killed. Mm hmm. Um. It was really interesting. It was, it was really interesting to see Riddick wanting to make friends, you know, because yeah. he's such a loner character. Um, he just kind of goes place to place. A first hooks up with some people temporarily, but then he leaves them behind again because he's too dangerous to be around. So he seems like it's happened to him 
at the end of Pitch Black where it opens up his empathy, makes him want to have people close to him. Yeah. And then he's just not doing a very good job of it because he's still like living this weird, crazy life and he's always on the run and he's always trying to stay out of prison. But then at the end of the movie, he gets an entire, he can like, any, I, I, I don't know, like empire to yeah. rule. So now he's not alone anymore. And mm-hmm. I feel like that would be the motivation for him to accept it, you know? Because it's obvious that he accepts that at the end. He says, you keep what you will, you know? Yeah. He's taking it. Mm-hmm. He's not one to leave to leave any advantage unused. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so if, if he could so be... So he's like, oh, I have this power. Okay, what am I going to do with it? Totally. Yeah. And he accepts the power at the end. Because then he's yeah. surrounded by people all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. He is... I think surrounded by people in the only way that works for him, it, which is he's in charge. It was like there was this sudden realization of him being like, well, he's so powerful on his own since ever since, you know, the whole world's been against him. The whole universe has been against him yeah. for so long. And then suddenly everything's with him. Yeah. It's like, okay, what can I do now? Yeah. And I guess we'll find out in the third movie. Yeah, Riddick. I'm so curious where they go with it. I know. I am really, 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 really curious also. Yeah. Uh, I, so there were several times during the movie where I checked myself being like really into it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> where I was like, man, I really care about this world and I want to know what, what's going on in the background. And uh, I had a moment where it, it was like reminding me of watching things like the Lost in Space reboot movie or the Mummy movies that are just really, really fun that I Mm -hmm. love. Uh, This movie had so much of that in it, like that adventure quality that I really love. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But I mean, it also had great like sci-fi stuff. I mean, it was, it was a little, maybe a little thin on the sci-fi. It was more, more along the lines of fantasy, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I agree with that. It, It was cool to see a fantasy setting with, like laser blasters. <laughs> mm-hmm. There was that one fight scene where yeah, it was like futuristic fantasy. Yeah, totally. Yeah, there was that fight scene where it was only lit by blaster fire. That was cool. It was so cool, and it took me a minute to figure out what was happening because there's something so anachronistic about seeing blaster fire with sort of medieval garb. Mm-hmm. And my brain was kind of like crossing. Yeah, and that awesome moment when he like when there's like the two candles and he has his hands up and he's like, "Are you afraid of the dark?" Yeah. or whatever the fuck <laughs> epic ass line he says yeah. and like turns the candles out. Oh, that was such a cool moment. Yeah, totally. It was great. I literally like the points where they put in the kind of like gratuitous action movie kind of moments like that, that yeah. were just like cool for cool sake. Yeah. Were, weren't overly done. They weren't in there too much yeah. and they were actually really cool. Totally. You were like, ha ah, yeah, yeah, that's badass. They were very <laughs> effective. Yeah, yeah, totally. You weren't and, like, Oh, that's lame. <laughs> yeah. And they really went for it too. I mean, yeah. like with the, Oh, the acting was awesome. Mm-hmm. I mean, Judy fucking Dench was in this movie. She yeah, was great. She was great. She's got like so much presence mm-hmm. and she does so much with her face and her mouth and you can see her thinking and just seeing someone of that caliber in the movie. Yeah. Just really And her voice was awesome. were like her, she has such refined technique as an actor. Yeah. She's so precise. Yeah. She's so great. Save your threats, necromunga. I would have told you about Riddick for the asking. It concerns a foretelling, a prediction now more than 30 years old. A young warrior once consulted a seer. He was told a child would be born on the planet Furia, 
a male child who would someday cause the warrior's downfall. It's just like really kind of fleshed out the world to me to have mm-hmm. someone in the background uh, who was a very minor character be that compelling, you know? Mm-hmm. It was really cool. And that that's something that I love about, uh, you know, like Star Wars. Yeah. Um, like, you just meet people in the Star Wars galaxy that are so compelling that you barely spend any time with, but, but you just want to so see again dimension. and again. Yeah. yeah. Like, Yoda is in, you know, like, one of the three movies. Well, I guess two if we're counting that one scene. <laughs> but uh, he's... I mean, he's in le- well less than half of the original trilogy, you know? Yeah, but he's so memorable. And he's so memorable like and a powerful. staple of Star Wars. People who haven't seen Star Wars know who Yoda is. Totally. I will. Uh, no one who hasn't seen this knows who Judy Dench is, though. That's that's yeah. the main difference. I didn't know Judy Dench is. They don't know who she plays in this movie. No. I, didn't, I didn't know she was in this. And then uh, when we started watching, I got immediately very excited because... <laughs> Because she's so great. And I'm so yeah. used to seeing her now with short hair. It was interesting to see her yeah, with, with this her long, long white hair. hair. I think that was a wig. Oh, this yeah. long wig. Uh, yeah, I got really distracted. What were we talking about before we went to Judy Dench? Oh, the acting was so good. The acting um, was great. Yeah. yeah. All around. I didn't have a complaint with anybody's acting. Yeah, me neither. Uh, yeah, so it, it just felt like a fun, fleshed out world to mm-hmm. be in so how did you feel about the difference in in style between this and pitch black did that bother you it did not actually it there was a second at first when i was like oh it's not gonna be it's gonna be totally different from pitch black they're not gonna really tie it together but when i noticed all the ways that they were tying it together throughout the film uh i didn't mind it i was like it's it's a different movie but it's the same story and they really like the way it was woven together i think was really well done it was just like a completely as if they took the scope of pitch black and just way widened it yeah really took it out it was really cool totally i felt the same way and it was really interesting because uh i i always use (laughs) either star trek or star wars as my example for everything but like the original star wars trilogy versus the prequels uh, the prequels were kind of like a expanded view of that galaxy, and it mm-hmm. felt too different and felt wrong. Yeah, it felt like it didn't fit somehow. But with this, I didn't feel that. Like I, I, I mean, maybe for like the first ten minutes, I was questioning yeah. it. But Riddick looked the same. You know, like Riddick yeah. felt the same, mm-hmm. and the everything you knew about the first movie felt the same in the second. It, but everything else was so different. But it still worked for me. It still fit. Yeah. It made sense. Well, and they used the, I liked that they used the same actor who was the priest in Pitch Black. Totally. And I actually did believe the character progression of Jack slash Kara. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And I even think that actress, even though, I mean, you know, very hot and sexualized, she did a great job. And I like yeah. also believe her as, you know, a progression for that character as well. I thought that was, a, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I was kind of prepared to not like her because... I know I like I I'd, I'd said earlier that I knew nothing about this movie. I did know that Vin Diesel wanted the other girl to play this character. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the I mean, for some reason that made me weary of her as an actress mm-hmm. in the role. But five minutes into her being in the movie, I got it. I was like, oh, you know what? I I see why they cast this person yeah. because she, was she needs fierce. to be hard, you know. Yeah. And the idea of her loving Riddick so much in Pitch Black and kind of emulating him to having taken all of that skill 
and become her own person inspired mm-hmm. by Riddick in the second movie, I thought was really compelling and totally a great character arc. And I really enjoyed their relationship. Their relationship was really interesting totally. and like dynamic. It's not sexual really. Like no. it's this familial, this ambiguously familial kind of where it's like, she's kind of like, his daughter in this weird yeah. way, but they're like, yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, like the type of family that can only be made through shared trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it was... And like they're two kind of like similar souls in yeah. a certain way. Totally, totally. And I thought it was cool to see uh, the character who was pretending to be a boy, you know, mm-hmm. from the first movie, turn into... Uh, like coming to her own as a woman, you know, Yeah. I, there was a part of me that there was a weird part of me that wanted her to still be pretending to be a boy in this movie. Yeah. I kind of, I wanted her to be a little more androgynous. Yeah. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. Yeah. Cause she was very womanly, you yes. know, um, which was great. Cause she was amazing. Yeah. But, uh, but we talked a lot both on mic and off mic when we watched pitch mm-hmm. black about how cool it was to have, this like sort of androgynous bendy, character yeah, yeah of like this girl but who idolized this you know convict man <laughs> yeah yeah and i would have that would have been still interesting if it yeah if she were still kind of like a, a woman but kind of ambiguously gendered yeah i would have loved that That'd and i cool. think that could have also played into their odd relationship yeah, as well. Yeah, totally. But that's, you know, for me, that's splitting hairs. Mm-hmm. I, I yeah, agree with totally. that. But but I liked the character so much. Like, Kira yeah. was amazing. I, yeah, there's I nothing really wrong her. with it at yeah, all. I had... She kind of looks like a, like, <laughs> like a hotter version of Lord. The... <laughs> <laughs> that's so true. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, Alexa Davalos Ooh. as Jack and Kira. And then she played uh, Gwen on Angel. Mm. And she she was on Angel for quite a few episodes. She she left her mark on Angel. She played the exact same character on Angel. Where it was like this badass, uh, like, jewel thief lady. (laughs) She was like, you know, she can go toe-to-toe with Angel, but she always does it in really tight clothes. (laughs) Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. The movie left me feeling so satisfied. Yeah. You know? It was really satisfying. What is it that's so satisfying about it? It's hard to put my finger on. I think it's because, I mean, they had so many layers. I really do think it's the thickness of the plot, but that the everything is resolved in a satisfying way. Yeah. There's not any, like, loose ends where you're like, well, wait, what about that thing? Which I feel like happens a lot in these movies where they try to go too big with a plot. They went really big with this plot, but they pulled it off. Yeah. And that's what makes it satisfying. Like, they really kind of unwrapped this huge package, but then at the end, they managed to tie it all together in a pretty bow. Very well said. I agree 100%. Yeah. And that was kind of shocking to me because, like, to watch something that's I was like, like, oh, how are they gonna like, yeah. wrap all this up? But the whole, but that being said, I I wasn't really worried because, like, throughout yeah. the movie, they were doing such a good job 
it was like such a seamless and kind of effortless job of juggling all these different components to this storyline. Totally. And it felt weird to have that good of a story and that good of like, uh, it seemed like really good direction to me, like a good vision behind the whole movie and not have the best special effects. Like the special effects were okay. Mm -hmm. The CG did not age well on this movie at all. Yeah. Uh, Like there was a moment where there's this, uh, this like creature that reaches its arm out of a cage and it was <laughs> and it so fake. Really bad. It like did not even look like it was in the movie. It was like hovering above the movie. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and because of that, the whole thing felt like a B movie because the visual effects were very B movie ish. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but it didn't matter because no. the plot was so and driving. Were, yeah. And I was, it was so interesting. I was so entertained. Like, the whole movie, I'm like, this is fucking entertaining as hell. And I'm yeah. so excited to see where this goes. Yeah, it was a long movie, but it's not ever boring. No. And we watched the director's cut, which is significantly longer. longer, yeah. Yeah, yeah. This one, this director's cut, it unlike Pitch Black. It needed all of that time. I'm like, what did they take out? I yeah, felt like it totally. was, I didn't feel like there was anything unnecessary. Totally. And I... Uh, and I usually feel like movies need to be edited. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. I actually looked up before we watched it tonight which version we should watch, because last time we just went with director's cut. Yeah. Uh, but this, I'm like, I should, I should at least look that up. That's the least I can do to prepare for this podcast. And uh, I did read... I read like one sentence that said that the, the director's cut... Um, was a much better story. Mm. And I'm like, great. I put it down uh, and stopped reading and then picked and decided the director's cut yeah. was the way to go. And it seems to me from watching that, that, you know, it, it reminded me a lot of Lord of the Rings and that Lord mm. of the Rings is really long and it's really intricate, but you follow the whole plot and it takes you along with itself really well. Yes. But only in the extended editions for me. I know this mm. maybe is like, you know, heresy, but uh, <laughs> I was not wild about the theatrical editions of they both the more. two towers they and the return of the king yeah. because they cut out so much that it was really hard to kind of follow like the the dramatic beats of the story yes but in the extended editions they're both like brilliant movies so um yeah so i i'm so glad we watched the director's cut because it was so satisfying and mm-hmm. i would imagine that maybe the the original is not was quite just missing as good a little bit yeah yeah cuz the studio just forces you know, the director, yeah, David Tui, to hours. cut some shit out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. David Tui. I'm impressed with this guy. Yeah, me too. I was I was thinking that during it. Yeah. I, and did he do Riddick as well? Yeah, yeah. Awesome. So we get to see his third movie. I I'm can't so wait. I'm so excited. I know, I'm so excited. I, I love watching a filmmaker develop. It's mm-hmm. such a cool thing to experience. Like I recently did a uh, an episode with... Ryan Casey about mm-hmm. Richard Kelly who made Donnie Darko <gasps> yeah. um, and then Southland Tales and then The Box and mm-hmm. like watching his style develop over his first three movies was really fascinating but I didn't expect to feel that about these movies because they're just like popcorn action movies but you can feel that he like had this story that yeah. he was like I want to tell this and I want to tell it right totally yeah totally I remember very early on in the movie thinking like man this is so different from the first one and that's kind of jarring me, but I recognize I recognize that this is someone who wants to tell this story, so yeah. I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt. Because you can and feel like, that in the movie. And I really feel like he had this whole story when he even made Pitch Black. You yeah. Know? Like, I'd be th- very curious to research that. Yeah. I could see that. Yeah. I could see it going either way. I could mm-hmm. definitely see it uh, 
I could definitely see it like a he's just telling this one little piece of this story because that's you know the cheapest to produce. Yes, which is exactly what happened with Star Wars in 1977. George Lucas uh, had this huge epic story he wanted to tell, and he needed to find the cheapest spot, cheapest and easiest spot to make one self-contained story in case he never got to make another movie, uh, in case he never got funding for the second movie, mm-hmm. and that's why he made the original Star Wars. It's the only one that's self-contained, um, yeah. which is super cool. Uh, and le- not like not counting Rogue One, but that's not a saga story. That's a whole other conversation. <laughs> anyway, so uh, I I almost felt like something similar was happening with this, where David Tui, like if if he had a, a full story, um, he just like sampled a little bit of it, mm-hmm. and then maybe he'd been thinking about this character Riddick for like decades or something. And yeah, had this whole long backstory. Yeah, because the character seems really fleshed out. Yeah, totally. I think that's the biggest strength of this movie is that mm-hmm. Riddick is ex- seems like the exact same character from the first movie. Yeah. Uh, like they didn't go over the top with super superheroing him because he yeah. is a superhero. Uh, but I, he felt like a similar level of superhero in both movies to me. Yes. It, it didn't feel like he was someone totally different. Like, sure, he showed some powers that we hadn't seen before. But we knew he had powers in the first movie that we yeah. didn't understand. Mm-hmm. And now we got a little more depth into that. Yes. And then when someone like steps up to him, he's just like, fuck you. And it's like cuts him to pieces. Yep. And it's it's such a funny uh, juxtaposition to see something that seems so like grand and epic where the, the main hero is just like a dick and like yeah. crass and kind of like a like a modern dick, you know, not mm-hmm. even like a space dick. He's not, he's like a devil may care kind of <laughs> yeah. attitude too. Cause he's not exactly like, he doesn't really get that riled up most of the time. He's very kind of like relaxed about it all. Yeah. You know, he's, totally. he's not like, Oh, you know, there's like the one point where the guy, you know, the necromonger leader almost steals his soul. And yeah. that's like the one time he actually goes like, fuck you. And yeah. it's great. I'm yeah. just like, he's like, fuck you. Can't take my soul. Yeah. You know, <laughs> but like other than that, he's just kind of like, you think you can kill me? Yeah. I'll that's kill you very with true. my teacup. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. That he's happens. so chill all yeah. the time in mm-hmm. any situation. Yeah, and it makes him feel more dangerous because totally. it's like really when you think of a character that's dangerous, they've just got ultimate confidence. It's like they don't have to prove anything to anybody. Yeah. You know? And like, and I, I really think that David Tui cast Riddick exactly right. I think Vin Diesel is so great at that part and easily somebody else playing that part, it would not be nearly as great because the way Riddick is written, like if those lines were said by somebody without like the kind of voice Hmm. and like everything that Vin Diesel brings to it, both just as who Vin Diesel is and what he does for the character as well. uh, But it could easily sound lame i think but because of like just kind of his that relaxed quality brings to it like and his just fucking incredible voice (laughs) like just make those lines sound so cool yeah totally yeah and it really works yeah it it harnesses the best of 80s action movies back before it was so cliche to have these Mm one-liners it just like it doesn't care that it's cliche and goes for it anyway 
Yeah. And it works. Mm-hmm. And it, it reminds you of why movies do that in the first place. Right. Because if you can show me something awesome and then have someone say something super cool. Yeah, to just it, like it put great. a great button on that moment. <laughs> yeah. You're just like, yes. I, and you're totally for it. Yeah, it feels so good. Mm-hmm. So have you, you haven't seen the third one? No. Okay. Never. Wow. So where do you think the story goes from here? Oh, man. I really have no idea because there's got to be some kind of conflict again that comes up. So maybe I really have no idea. Yeah, I, I'd be very curious to see him try to run this religion, try to run the necro mongers. Right. Because he's they're his now. So I'd, I, I'm really curious to see if he sticks around because mm-hmm. he's not the type to stick around. Right. Um, yeah, it seems like he wouldn't. You know, it wouldn't be very long before he wouldn't want that kind of responsibility. Yeah. He'd just want to go back to his isolated, yeah, you know, free rogue living. That's what I'm really curious about because we've never seen him with responsibility, you know? Yeah. Because nothing has ever... Uh, like, he's the type of person who either has to be in charge or be fighting the system, you yeah. know? He's either on the run or he's the the president of the galaxy. <laughs> so, if mm-hmm. he's in charge, does he stay, you know? I think that he might. I'd be, I'd be really interesting to see. That would be. I think that in his mind, no one else knows what to do ever, mm-hmm. except for maybe Kira. I think yeah. Kira kind of, I think that he trusted Kira to do what was right mm-hmm. and by his code, you know, right. whatever that may mean. But when he's in charge, I feel like he might, you know, that he's like, man, this is my chance to make sure that everyone's doing something to my code. Mm-hmm. And he might want to take advantage of that, but I feel like he would run into the fact that, like, no one else is up to that because he's this like superhuman, and no right. one else can live up to his expectations. So I think he might be really disappointed with leading and get sick of it and leave. But then what? Yeah. Then do they turn their back against him? Do they have a coup? Ooh, maybe he like walks away, and and they they think that he has this divine need to lead them because he killed their leader. Mm-hmm. Uh. And then people, maybe people try to kill him so they can take over, but no one can kill him. So, like, this whole religion is just on his tail. Yeah. Someone trying to kill him so they can, they can take over. <laughs> and then always, always trying to kill him. And they're falling into, like, anarchy because they don't have their, like, preordained leader or something. That could be yeah. interesting. I don't know. I, we we got to watch it soon because I'm very curious to find out. And there's also the, there's the cartoon that bridges uh, Pitch Black and Chronicles of Riddick. Mm-hmm. It's half an hour long that I'd be super down to watch if you're interested. I'm interested. Yeah. Maybe we should watch. Well, we should see when they were released because I think that was released after Chronicles, but before Riddick. I'm not 100% sure about that. I like to watch things in release order, not necessarily in story order. Mm -hmm. Because if this. I agree. I actually. You actually had the right call because I brought this up before we started the movie and I said, should we watch this first? And. And you said, no, we should watch... I mean, if it's bridging those two movies, we should see what it bridges to. Otherwise, like, it, it doesn't make sense. It something. Yeah, right. totally. Uh, yeah, because, you know, it doesn't matter, like, how it happened chronologically. Mm-hmm. If they were making it third, then they would know that people would have seen the second one. So that's going to be taken into account in mm-hmm. the writing and everything. Yes. Like, did you like... Uh, do you like C.S. Lewis? Do you like the Chronicles of Narnia? Have you yes. read those? Yeah. I love those so much. Yeah. Uh, I was very saddened and weirded, weirded out to find out that it was all like Christian allegory. But I before... know. <laughs> it is weird when you... 
<laughs> it's like it ruined a childhood thing. Just not ruined it, but yeah. totally changed it. It be cast it in a different light, but I yeah. choose to. I, I didn't pick up on that when I read it, and I no. choose to interpret it the way that I interpreted it as a kid, which is not picking up on it, because mm-hmm. I loved it when I didn't pick up on it, mm-hmm. uh, although I haven't read it again since then, so maybe I should. But anyway, uh, publishers release it out of order all the time, uh, because he wrote it out of order, chronologically, for what happens in the story, mm-hmm. um, and then he wanted it to go back into chronological order, I guess, or the publisher was... I can't remember if that's true or if the publisher was trying to make it easier for kids to understand or something. So when you read it, what was the first book? Was it The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe or was it... Uh, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Okay, yeah. yeah. That's the first one he wrote. And a lot of them sell it in a set where book number one is, I think, The Magician's Nephew. Is oh. that book six? I don't, I didn't read all of them. Okay. Yeah. It, it's book six of seven that's sold as the first book because it's the one that tells the backstory of where the the, the cupboard came from or mm-hmm. the, the wardrobe. I was thinking of Indian oh. in the cupboard for a second. <laughs> oh my God. That movie, that's been a long time since I've thought yeah. about that movie. Did you read the books for that? The books no. were the books were great. I only saw the like strange live action I, movie. I definitely saw that too. Mm-hmm. I, I liked it a lot. I um, liked it too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, but anyway, so like reading... The Chronicles of Narnia in the order he wrote them was amazing as a kid because you're just kind of filling in more of the story forwards and backwards as you go along. And it's really cool. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. So I I was frustrated that... uh, I was frustrated that the order was changed. I think part of the reason was because there's like the kids from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe that are in most of the books, but not all. So I think mm-hmm. they reordered them so that those kids were in chronological books, like back-to-back, oh. when they were actually in books that were split up around, like, The Magician's Nephew and... Yeah. Uh, is that the right one? I don't remember. The the one with the... the Oh, I don't remember. Whatever book six was called. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, yeah, long story short, watching Riddick's stuff in the order it was released is a great idea. Yes, yeah. definitely. So then we'll we'll figure out if the cartoon or if Riddick is next, and then we'll do that next. Mm-hmm. It'll be amazing. Yeah, hell yeah. I can't wait. Oh, man. The Chronicles of Riddick, what a saga. Yeah. What a fantastic movie. Mm-hmm. Highly recommend. Highly recommended. Uh, better or worse than Pitch Black? Better. I agree. Way better. I agree. I enjoyed it so much more. Oh, yeah. And Pitch I like Pitch Black. Black. Yeah, I like Pitch Black, too, but... I loved Riddick. Yeah. I love the Chronicles of Riddick. I could see why someone would like Pitch Black more because it caters to a different audience. Yes. The part of me that loves The Mummy and Lost in Space was overjoyed to watch this movie today. Because it Mm -hmm. like, and Stargate, it like tickled that same part of my brain that's just, you know, over the top action adventure sci-fi. Yes. Love it. It's so great. Whereas Pitch Black tickled more the part of my brain that likes Alien where yeah. it was kind of like this intense... It was much more of a monster movie. Yeah, totally, totally. And, and a and thriller that was cool. yeah. rather than a fantasy epic. Yeah, totally. But I think at the end of the day, if I have to choose between watching Alien or The Mummy, I'm going to choose The Mummy. Yeah. As much as I love Alien, like, don't get That's me wrong. That's so true, though. Yeah. If, I wanna, like, if I've had a bad day, I'm not putting Alien gonna, on the TV. No, you're going to watch The I'm Mummy. Watch you're going to get swept up in that story. Yeah. We're going back to Hamanatra, bitches. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Brendan Fraser went to Cornish. Yeah. That's you know, like the one claim to fame. 
Andrew was on this podcast once and he told me about meeting Brendan Fraser because because of that connection. It was really, really cool. Funny. Random. Anyway. Yeah. Chronicles of Riddick. Yeah. (laughs) Um, well, any any final thoughts? I'm empty. I think that about sums it up. Nice. Well, this was so much fun. I'm yeah. so glad we're doing this because it, it was too. like not even on my radar to watch these movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and without your recommendation, this would not be happening. And it's very exciting for me because I'm really into it. <laughs> yeah. It's, it was, this movie is a really pleasant surprise. Yeah. I really wasn't, I was kind of expecting it to be mediocre. Yeah. I really was. And I was like waiting for it the whole movie. And I was like, nope, nope. It's awesome. Yeah. It never dropped the ball. It really didn't. Which shocked me. I was waiting for the ball to drop. All it these didn't. movies dropped the ball. Kept you know? those balls in the air. Yeah. And I'll say the same for Pitch Black. Like, Pitch Black... Yeah. It dropped the ball I mean, a little in, in the, the beginning, beginning but... The be- I don't feel like it fully dropped. It was just, like, fumbling yeah. with the balls in the beginning. They were like, whoa, it was whoa. Like watching <laughs> someone learn to juggle. Yeah. But- and then at the end, they're like, oh, okay, I got it. I yeah. got it now. Yeah. And then during... Riddick, by that time... It's like juggling, like, three more balls at once. Yeah, he's got more (laughs) balls. He's doing, like, tricks with the balls. And he's like, psh, ain't no thing. (laughs) Ain't no thing. Ain't dropping those balls. Ain't fumbling those balls. No. We got to the end of the movie, all balls in the air. All balls. Yeah, all balls. All up. Yes. (laughs) So say we all. (laughs) All right, Leah, thank you so much for coming back on the show. And then we'll see you again for more Riddick. Absolutely. Can't wait. Because I can't wait. I know. (laughs) Gotta know. All right, my friends, we are at the end. Thank you so much for joining us this week. This was a super fun episode. A whole lot of shit happened. I had a great time. Next week, you'll get to meet my girlfriend, Andy. We're going to watch Lost in Space, which, if you hadn't noticed during this episode, is a movie that I love. If you'd like to learn more about this show, about me, about my sci-fi synth-pop music, head on over to jessemercury.com, where you can also learn how to support this show either through Patreon or PayPal. Your support is greatly appreciated. Your assignment this week is to watch the premiere of Doctor Who because it was fucking wonderful. It was so goddamn good. So go watch that shit. That's going to do it for this episode of Sci-Fi. You're a wonderful nerd for listening to this, and I appreciate you. See you next time.